right, so uh, in, the, in the few moments that we have remaining, I want to tackle the, the third part of uh, mixed motives. I want to get you to stand with me very quickly, please. As you're doing that, can I ask you to stick your hand up? I, I mean, there, there's nothing embarrassing about this. I'm just curious as to who of us would have, at any stage during our schooling career, had to recite the Lord's Prayer in assembly. Anyone, anyone, anyone? Okay, okay, okay. Uh, so for the younger people, these are old people, just so you know, okay? <laughs> no, no, okay. Uh, out of interest, though, in all seriousness, in the last, was anyone in school in the last 10 years and had, I'm just curious whether, as to whether or not this still happens. Okay, okay, five years? Okay, so 10 years. All right, they stopped saying the Lord's Prayer about 10 years ago. Anyway, so I don't know about you, but I, I grew up at school where every assembly, I mean, we had nothing to do with Christianity. It was a like there was not, but we said the Lord's Prayer. It was like a token thing that we that we used to have to say. Um, and I only discovered later on that it was the the King James version, which just so you know was written about 500 years ago. That's why there are arts and hallowed and all these kinds of things in there. But if you remember the old traditional version, can I get you to repeat it with me, please? In one, two, three. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and as trespass against us. For but Amen. Okay, has anyone actually read the Bible and discovered that that last part isn't in there? Anyone? Okay, were you a bit confused when you discovered that? Okay, so just so you know, the reason for that is because uh, more, re- more, so older dated tri- uh, manuscripts were discovered since the King James was written, and in most of those, that last part wasn't in there. That's why all of your sort of newer translations would not have that part in there. But it's okay, and we're going to go through that in a moment. But before we do that, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would help us to be focused, to be present, and to be receptive to anything, anything, anything that you want to whisper to us prompt us with, encourage us with, challenge us with, invite us with. Please help us not to miss you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, go ahead and take your seats. Allow me to run through this very quickly. If you're paying attention to the screens or on the version notes, you'll notice that that I'm using different versions of of more modern translations for the different verses. I I don't have time to unpack why, excepting to say that I feel that they best reflect the the original intention of uh, the original language as it relates to what we know as the Lord's Prayer. So verse uh, five of chapter six says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they've received their reward in full. Our whole series is focused on working through our mixed motives. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that that, that, that word hypocrites literally means to, to take on a mask. Actors used to go onto a stage, they would put on a mask and they would play a role. And Jesus is discouraging people from, from doing good for the wrong reasons. So we spoke two weeks ago about giving, last week about fasting. Today we're looking at prayer. And, and I've got to say, I would imagine many of us would agree that today our biggest challenge isn't that too many people want to pray in public. Okay, I'm just telling you as a pastor, I'm not having to like stop people and calm people down and say, hey guys, please pray a little bit less. Just, 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 just tone it down, relax. I mean, it is possible if you're very involved in a particular area that maybe you do pray publicly. We pray together every Sunday morning before the services, but, 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 but I can't say that this is something that I've often come across over the last several years. However, I do think that we still have to check our motives because sometimes we can pray out of superstition 
You know, I say my, my nightly prayers and I don't walk under a ladder. <laughs> Maybe out of urgency, and this is valid, nothing wrong with it, but, but, but we're desperate. We, God, please help me to do well in the exam. I didn't study, but help me to do well in the exam. Or, or God, you know, please, 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 don't let, don't let that fine come to my, to my home address. You know, I, I don't know. Or don't let them find out. There are times, I mean, I'm being lighthearted about it. There are times, though, where we have urgent prayers to pray, and there's nothing wrong with that. You just don't want to leave prayer for urgency only, okay? And sometimes just out of sheer religion or or tradition. So maybe you grew up saying grace, uh, or or maybe you grew up saying the Lord's Prayer. And so there is this memorized prayer that we pray at times, but there's no real meaning behind it. There's no real, so, so these are the kinds of motives that I think we just need to be sensitive to. And again, even as I go into some of the examples, let me encourage you that, that I don't know that any of us ever have perfect motives, certainly not all of the time, okay? I think, I, think, I think that we need to rather be sensitive to just checking our motives, checking our hearts and trying to make sure that they are refined. All right, Jesus goes on and says, but when you pray, so again, when, not if, when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private, then your father who sees everything will reward you. The reason why I think praying in private is important, not that praying in public is not okay, it is. There are, there are many, we just did it a moment ago. There, there are many times where it's really important to pray together or publicly if being done for the right reason and not just to tick a box. But, but the reason why I think that private prayer is so important is because privacy strengthens intimacy. Privacy strengthens intimacy. We can pray together. And there's something, there is, I can't explain it. There's something special that happens when we pray together and we're strengthened by one another's faith. That, that is important. That is necessary. But if that's the only time I'm ever praying, it's not a salvation issue, but it is an intimacy issue. It is a relationship issue. And I do think that the most effective prayers in public are not the most articulate or the most impressive. They are the prayers that are prayed from a place of genuine intimacy from a place of, of privacy where, where, where in, in my own just one-on-one time with God, there is that intimacy. Right, then he goes on. This is Jesus saying, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Now, if you've never heard people just babble on, you haven't been in too many church prayer meetings, okay? And, and again, I'm not throwing shade. I'm just saying this, this can be a challenge for all of us while we're collecting our thoughts. We can Waffle on, or people can actually do it thinking that if I say the, the right thing often enough, it's like rubbing the genie in the bottle and I'm gonna get what I want, which is not the right motive. For they think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, you might be thinking, so then why pray? Like he knows what I need, right? Because it's not just about what you need, it's about intimacy, it's about relationship. Prayer does something to you, to me, to the prayer. God, God, God's already present. God already loves us. God already wants to, to meet our deepest needs. But, but prayer changes my posture. It, it changes the, the posture of my heart to where I am actually pressing into him. And so Jesus offers us a model. The Lord's Prayer, there's nothing wrong with repeating it as you memorize it, but but please don't see it as like a mantra, as like something that if we quote it enough times, something magical happens. It is a model. It's fine to memorize it, but it's far more important to use it as a model. 
So he offers us a model and motives for prayer. He goes on, verse nine. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. It's a little bit intimidating, don't you think? Okay, you don't look intimidated. I'm just saying, if there's something that's telling me that God might not forgive, that gets my attention, but I'll explain that in a few moments. All right, very quickly, six healthy motives to pray. This is all based on the Lord's Prayer. We're gonna run through this, but please, 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 just look out for anything. One thing that God might just want to uh, emphasize or highlight for you. The first motive to pray, this is part of the model that Jesus gave us, is simply for relationship and worship. Relationship and worship. Notice how, how the very beginning of the Lord's Prayer starts with our Father. And then, hallowed be your name. Or may your, some versions say, may your name be honored. Or, or may your name be kept holy. That means set apart. So that speaks of, of worship. It speaks of the fact that He is our Father and He is our Lord. He is our Heavenly Dad and He is our leader. And so, again, the idea is not just to ramble and move on. No, no, it's to, actually, it's to actually reflect and respond to the fact, God, you're my father. You are my heavenly dad. And there is something to be said about slowing down to spend some focused time with God, recognizing, remembering, Reflecting on the fact that he is your, your father, your heavenly dad. There's something about that that shifts your security as a son or a daughter. Yeah. I'm just telling you, in my opinion, 100%, people can tell you, they can declare the truth of God's word until they're blue in the face. But I honestly think that the only thing that actually shifts, so, so it goes from our, our minds to our hearts, is when we spend slowed down time with God. And we, and we don't just try and make it a super productive time. We don't have to have something tangible to show for it, but we are, we are growing in that security. We're growing in that identity with God. Where you allow him to remind you that you are loved, you are wanted, you belong. But similarly, so that's him as our father. Similarly, as our Lord, there's very little that'll cause us to trust him and serve him as our Lord than spending slowed down, surrendered time with God. We were just saying, God, what are you wanting to do? What is your will? What do you want to point out to me? I love this, the statement that Tammy shared last week. In fact, I think that's going to become the statement for the series, that your strongest desire is not necessarily your deepest desire. Your strongest desire is not, in fact, often it's not going to be your deepest desire. We have a deep desire to be connected to our Father. We have a deep desire to be reassured. We have a deep desire, actually, to walk in, in line, in tandem with him. All right, that's why, by the way, that's why we so often will encourage you and remind you that prayer should be our first response and not our last resort. I wanna take it a step further and say that it should not only be our first response, it should be our most important rhythm. Such a anchor, life-giving rhythm in our lives where we're not just ticking boxes, but we're consistently, we're trying to spend just some focused, one-on-one time with God. Some people can do that in the traffic. I, I, I mean, 
I'm just asking God to help me in the traffic, but, but, but maybe you can spend, you know, constructive time with God in the traffic. Maybe, I know people talk about doing it in the shower. That's fine. But, but there's still something. Those of you that are married, you know that there's still something different to, to driving with your spouse or, or shouting to them while you're having a quick shower and they're, and, they're, and they're nearby to actually having just some focused, unrushed time together where there's actually no agenda, no rush, no hurry. You just, anyway, you get the point. So first of all, it's relationship and worship. Number two is simply for perspective. Verse 10, the first part says, your kingdom come. It's very, it's very hard for me. In fact, I don't know if I'll ever think through this model and get to that part and not think about people that are not yet in a relationship with God. God cares about people. That's why we are constantly reminding ourselves that part of the health, part of the growth, part of the wholeness that God is trying to bring us to is for the sake of others. Yes, you are blessed in the process and, and healed and strengthened and you discover purpose, but, but make no mistake, God loves you and God loves others. And I just think that it shifts our perspective. So when you go to work tomorrow or you go to school tomorrow, I'd love for you to, 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 as you wake up tomorrow morning or as you go to sleep tonight, just say, God, may your kingdom come tomorrow at work. God, what might that look like? How might I be a small part of your kingdom where we are, where I'm a blessing, where I'm salt and where I'm light? Number three is simply to trust and surrender. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven or in Milton as it is in heaven or in Buddhism as it is in heaven or in Joe Slova as it is in heaven or in wherever you, you work in Montague Gardens, Montague Gardens as it is, or at Milton High or Buren High or as it is in heaven, surrendering to his will. God, how, how do you wanna affect my relationships? How, God, what does your will look like in terms of my responsibilities, my, my diligence? You don't have to agonize over these things, but, but doesn't it speak of relationship where we are just simply surrendering to his will? A fourth motive and part of the model is provision. You are allowed. In fact, not only are you allowed, you are encouraged. Jesus encouraged his followers to pray for their daily bread. Some, some commentators and some trans, translators um, argue that, that another possible meaning could be you know, enough bread for tomorrow. So you don't have to get too hung up on whether it's for today, for tomorrow, but it's, as it is speaking to a sense of nowness. Of course, that's a word. Nowness. His mercies are new every morning. We want to walk in the good works that God has planned for us every day. I would encourage you to ask God, but you're asking God in the context of having already declared his, the fact that He's our Father. Our Lord, you're wanting his kingdom to come. We're wanting his will to be done. And now in that context, you're asking him for stuff. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane asked the Father if there was any other way to achieve salvation, to achieve the purpose that God has for the world. If there was any other way. He didn't ask it once or twice, three times. That's a big deal. But he kept saying, but not my will, your will be done. So you can ask God for anything if it's in the context of, but God, your will be done. Like you think of a kid that would ask his dad for, I don't know, for extra pocket money or for a bicycle or to go, I don't know, to go to some kind of local park or something. You're, you can ask, and if you trust your father, you can ask for anything. But in the context of, you know that dad can still say no or mom can still say no. 
fact, they probably do a lot. And think about it, that's what affects us. We then, we then try and convince them otherwise, right? When we're kids, so, so we try and manipulate or control or, or play the one up against the other. Okay, maybe the father said, no, so I'm going to the son or the Holy Spirit. I mean, that'd be weird, but, 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 but are you with me? So many of us grow up not getting what he wants, so we try and find ways to manipulate around it because ultimately we're not trusting the heart of a father or a mother. We can trust our father. We can ask for provision. In fact, for some of us, I would encourage you to dare to dream again. Dare to actually, like maybe there's some stuff that you have, that maybe the enemy has tried to, over time, slowly but surely convince you that, that, is, that, that you're not even allowed to ask for that. Maybe God's saying, actually, you're allowed to ask. Surrender it to me, but ask. Number five is forgiveness. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. It is the only part of the Lord's prayer that is elaborated on a few verses later. He explains in verse 14 and 15, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, I do think that the language is confusing. But I want to state categorically that forgiveness is not, forgiving others is not a condition for salvation but it absolutely is the fruit of salvation. It is not a condition for salvation. You don't first forgive people and then God forgives you and you can have a relationship with him. No, no, rather, and, and, and the reason I'm confident in saying that is because you only form doctrine, theology in the Bible where, where it is backed up repeatedly. Generally, the rule of thumb is at least three in three different places. So, so you don't wanna form false doctrine from misunderstanding one particular passage. But the Bible is clear, and I'll give you a couple other verses in a moment, that, that we are forgiven for free by the grace of God. But the point that Jesus made even later on in Matthew chapter 18 is that, is that if you have been forgiven a debt that you could never repay, you've, you've been forgiven a mountain's worth of debt, your heart will be melted, you will be humbled, you will be grateful, and, and in a sense, you will be moved to want to forgive those who have sinned against you. And I have to acknowledge that if I'm not moved to forgive somebody else, I have stopped being moved by how much God has forgiven me. A couple of examples, Ephesians 4.32, instead be kind to each other, tender hearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Colossians 3.13, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you so you must forgive others. I cannot encourage you enough in your time with God, regularly, constantly, to be focusing on each of these parts. And when it comes to forgive me as I forgive others, I think that there's a very good chance that if you haven't forgiven someone, that, that in fact, even as I'm talking about it, chances are a face is coming to your mind. A name is coming to your mind. And I just wanna remind you, Forgiveness is made available to us for free, and, and part of why things are such a great habit to be in every day is to keep remembering, to keep appreciating the fact that God, you, you have forgiven me everything and you continue to forgive me, because how many of you know we don't stop sinning after we come into a relationship with God? I mean, I wish we did, but, but you're still growing, maturing, working, and you're still 
make mistakes. In fact, the closer you come to God, the more you realize, whoa, I thought I had that issue, but actually it's much deeper than that. It's much broader than that. I'm like, yes, like it. I'm terrible. Anyway, you know what I mean? And, and, it's, and you might actually be discouraged, but actually it's because you're drawing closer and closer to God. And so instead of just being offended with the morality at the top, Okay, don't swear at someone, don't gossip, don't lust. No, no, you actually now start realizing, wait, there, but I, I might have my behavior modified, but there's a heart issue beneath it. So don't be discouraged by the fact that God keeps pointing stuff out to you in your heart. All right, last one is protection. Protection. Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Holy smokes, if you're not praying this regularly, you're either in a lot of trouble or you're very brave, or you're not walking closely enough with God that the enemy cares about you. We need to be praying regularly. God, please, please, in Jesus' name, protect me. Lead me away. I mean, why, why, why only be delivered from evil? God, God, will you lead me away from temptation? Some of us don't want to pray that because we actually kind of like getting close. You know, like, like, like we kind of want. Like, it's okay, you know, as long as I'm not you know, jump, no, 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 no. God, lead me away from temptation and please deliver me from evil. Come on, can I get you to stand with me?